1: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to the Gist of Freedom. You're listening online at www.blackhistoryblog.com and on iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. I'm your host, Yafa Shabazz, and I am absolutely so excited. We're honored to speak with a very special guest. She is president and board chair of the Foundation for the National Archives in Washington, D.C., trustee and board vice chair for Columbia University. She serves on the advisory council at Harvard University. She's an Emmy Award-winning producer with both ABC and NBC News. She's even appeared in Chris Watt's movie, Good Year. (laughs) (laughs) She is a best-selling author and a journalist, currently working on her third book, The Joy, Goodness of Harlem, and she is the great-great-granddaughter of self-made millionaire, entrepreneur, innovator, Madam C.J. Walker. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please
2: welcome Alilia
1: Bundles.
0: Hello, how are you?
2: Hi, Ilyas. I'm so glad to be on this evening with you. And excuse my little... um, uh, laryngitis voice. I'm going to try to stay in a range where I can keep my voice going.
1: Okay, okay. What happened?
2: You know, just a little cold. Being on the road a lot, and um, but I, I actually feel great. I just sound a little bit hoarse, but I think we can make it through.
1: Okay, okay. Well, I know that you're extremely busy, especially. This is only a small portion of, of the many accomplishments and the many. Uh, contributions that you've made. So it's really an honor um, to talk to you this evening. So thank you again for joining us. But you have to tell me, Ms. Bundle, how did you come to get a cameo in Chris Rock's movie, Good Hair?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I think because I have done so much, um, so much work on hair and the history of hair, and Madam Walker, of course, is such an iconic person when you're talking about the history of black hair in our community, and you're right, I had my little 15 seconds or so of fame, <laughs> um, but it was really a great, uh, actually it's sort of an hour-long interview with Chris Rock and Nelson George, who was working with him as a producer, and I had a really great conversation with him, you know, as it ended up, as you know from the movie, the um, the, the history part was really pretty small. There were so many other interesting things to talk about, so a lot of what I talked about really ended up on the cutting room floor, but I truly enjoyed my time with the two of them. Oh, well, that's
1: wonderful. I think it was apropos. Um, You know, I also, I think it's especially uh, fantastic for our young people to see that you're preserving history and that you're (laughs) preserving a very important part of American history so that our children are cognizant of the many contributions their ancestors made in spite of the challenges and the psychological traumas caused upon them. Can you tell me – yeah, go ahead.
2: No, 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 please, go ahead.
1: Well, I want to know exactly what you're doing to preserve um, her legacy and why you find it so important.
2: Well, you know, obviously you and I share this um, sort of passion for keeping family legacies Alive and um, and I did a little bit of reading about you this afternoon just to remind myself. And of course, your your wonderful book. But I think, like you, I really grew up um, not being sort of overwhelmed with the legacy of family. My mother, like your mother, was wise enough to let us grow up and be ourselves, but to let us discover these famous um, relatives and ancestors in our own way so that we could come to terms with it in our own way. So when I was growing up, my mother was um, a vice president at the Walk Company in Indianapolis. It was at that point still a you know relatively thriving business. And I grew up in a household where I was surrounded by things that had belonged to her and that had belonged to her daughter. The baby grand piano that I learned to read music on had been in one of A'Lelia Walker's apartments in Harlem. So lots of famous people had played that piano. I didn't really know that when I was growing up. And the silverware that we used every day had Madam Walker's monogram and
0: her China
2: and some furniture and other things that were around the Mm -hmm. house. But it wasn't something that was, you have to be this person, you have to live up to this, you have to live a -hmm. certain way. It was, you need to be a child and you need to get your education and you need to grow up. But Mm -hmm. in my... um, interest in being a journalist and being a writer, I began to discover stories about them. And I was really more fascinated by Alelia Walker and her Harlem Renaissance friends when I was in high school in the late 1960s because she'd known Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston. So that was kind of my entree. And mm-hmm. then when I was in graduate school at Columbia in journalism school, my thesis advisor was a sister named Phyllis Garland, whose mother had been an editor at the Pittsburgh Curry, and Phil herself had worked at Jet and Ebony. She recognized my name, A'Lelia, and made that connection, and she said, well, that's what you're going to write your mm. master's paper on. So that kind of gave me validation and permission to uh, to pursue that. You know, And another coincidence that you and I have in common is that Alex Haley was very interested in my family story and we
0: Mm. met
2: in the early eighties and he, he was very interested in writing something he he ultimately did not, but he became a mentor to me and encouraged me and really was, was instrumental in me being able to do some of my early research. So now I preserve (laughs) it in a lot of ways and giving things to museums and writing books and doing speeches.
1: Okay. Wow. That's, You know, I I, I just really commend you, uh, you know, in in everything that you're doing. So when you found out that, you know, that she was, you know, this magnificent woman who made a significant contribution, um, what did that mean to you?
2: Well, you know, I I think like most kids, I was a, a bit ambivalent about it because, you know, you're a kid, you don't really want... To have, you know, people say, oh, you think you're this or that. You know, you just really want to be a kid. And so it took me until, you know, really, I I knew about it. And as I say, I was really sort of more interested in A'Lelia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as you become mature, you really realize just how significant these people are. And as I began to delve into her life and really learn about the struggles that she had and, you know, Mm -hmm. coming of age right after the Civil War, being orphaned at a very Mm. early age, and a washerwoman, no real education, and then how she transformed herself, I truly began to appreciate the struggle that she'd had.
1: Exactly. Um, In most curriculums, you know,
2: we're taught that, for
1: example, Christopher Columbus discovered America, and later we find out, either by our parents or through our own research, that there were generations of indigenous people living here far before Columbus was even born. So, Ms. Bundles, you know, it, this underscores the importance of preserving our history ourselves, and I salute you for that. Um, I have a question that came in from Kavon Ward in Harlem, and she's asking, what did you learn about your great-great-grandmother in school, and was this information accurate?
2: <laughs> my 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 great great grandmother was never mentioned in any class that I had in school. Really? Okay. <laughs> never. You know, I mean I went to elementary school. I went to predominantly white schools mm-hmm. for elementary school, junior high and high school. She was not in any of the curriculum. Um in my mm. senior year in high school in 1969, uh, a group of us, you know, pushed for a class that included black history and I wrote a paper about Alelia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance but no Madam Walker never turned up in any of my classes when I was a young kid but I think part of the reason that I became so determined to write a book about her I wrote mm-hmm. first a young adult book about her that was part of the Chelsea House Black Americans of Achievement series that came out in 1991 and then my more comprehensive book on her own ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, but I was really determined that I wanted to future generations to mm-hmm. have the books that I wish had been written for me, and so now it's just really a pleasure for me through my website, through MadamCJWalker.com and through these books and articles mm-hmm. that I get lots of queries from kids during Black History Month and Women's History Month and that lots of kids are now learning about her. So she is in the textbooks, whether right. it's history books or even math books with problems about, you know, sales and how you calculate your sales. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I can be the person who helps educate the next generation. Mm-hmm. So are you responsible
1: for ensuring that um, the information of her is in these uh, textbooks?
2: Yes, you know, fortunately when I, you know, when a textbook publisher wants to include a photograph of her or wants to verify information, mm-hmm. people are really pretty resourceful. They usually track me down through the websites and mm-hmm. you know, so I would say most of the major textbook publishers I have some connection that I hear from somebody, you know, at least once a month who's who's trying to make sure that she's included. And I mean, I think this is right. really great that right. that now American history is much more inclusive than it was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You're listening to The Gist of Freedom. I'm your host, Ilyasa Shabazz, and I'm joined by a very special guest. She's an author, journalist, and the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker, Ms. A'Lelia Bundle. Can you tell us your website uh, information, please?
2: Sure. And, I, you know, I have a couple of websites. So Madam C.J. Walker, and it's M-A-D-A-M no emadamcj dot and that's the one focused really on the history of Madam Walker and some videos and, you know, information that I think will be helpful to people who want to learn more about her. And then my personal website is aleliabundles.com, a-l-e-l-i-a-bundles.com. Okay. Um, well,
1: someone else, uh, what is her name, Sarah Sarah Beth Johnson of Port Chester, New York, she said that there's a resort that was established as well as a documentary based on uh, Madam C.J. Walker. Can you tell us anything about this?
2: Sure. You know, there is something. I noticed that, that Leslie Gist, um, whose program we're privileged to be on, had posted a little video and there was a group that was doing a video about a proposed resort at Croton on Hudson and mm-hmm. they mentioned in that video a connection to Madam Walker there's from my own research I don't think there is a direct involvement with Madam Walker this this resort was being developed after Madam Walker's death but okay. it was not far from where she lived and her daughter A'Lelia Walker uh, was mentioned in some of their ads um, but didn't really invest in that. Madam Walker did buy property at Mm -hmm. Idlewild, uh, the resort that was in Michigan. And one of their, um, an architect who'd worked on both of their homes, Vertner Tandy at one point was planning a resort. So I don't think there's... A direct connection between the Walkers, but you know, at that time, anybody who was doing anything that needed investors was always really interested in having them um, be included. Okay.
1: Um, all right. Stacy Jackson is asking, when did Madam C. J. Walker live? When was she born, and what year did she pass away?
2: Absolutely. So Madam, Madam C.J. Walker was born, her birth name was Sarah Breedlove, and she was born in December 1867, uh, the first child in her family to be born free, and she was born on the plant, same plantation where her parents had been enslaved um, you know, up until the end of the Civil War. And uh, she was orphaned at seven, both of her parents died, and married at 14. She was had been living with her older sister whose husband, she said, was so cruel that she married oh, to get a home of her own. She married a man named Moses McWilliams, had her only child when she was 17, and then when she was 20, Moses died. She moved up the river to St. Louis where she had three brother, older brothers who were barbers. And in St. Louis she joined the AME Church and it was sort of the women of the church who began to give her a vision of herself as something other than an illiterate washerwoman. So she really wanted to improve her life to make her daughter's life better. Eventually, okay. her hair began to fall out. She developed an ointment and a shampoo that helped heal her scalp disease. Her hair began to grow back. She began to sell it and to other women and then ultimately created a company that allowed her to become a millionaire and not just a millionaire, but a person who was a patron of the arts and a Mm -hmm. political activist and a philanthropist. She died in 1919 in her mansion in Irvington, New York. Beautiful. God bless
1: her. Um, Okay, Tiffany Scott is asking, do you have children, and are are you grooming your children to carry on the legacy?
2: (laughs) I don't have any biological children of my own. I have godchildren and... Lots of uh, young people in my life who I do my best to share this story with. Um, And, you know, I really literally, dozens of young people are in contact with me who are doing reports. So I'm trying to make sure that the legacy continues. Um, I just donated a number of items from my personal Madam Walker archives to the New Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, uh, and I write books, and I actually am now, I just finished my third book, which is Madam Walker Theater Center, that documents the uh, history of the other National Historic Landmark in Indianapolis. And I will soon be finished with my fourth book, um, Joy Goddess of Harlem, about A'Lelia Walker's life. So I'm, though I don't have biological children, I think that this story will hopefully be told for another few generations.
1: Yes, absolutely. Can you tell us about your other books, your upcoming events, and the causes that you're currently working on?
2: Sure, absolutely. So um, on on my website, on aliliabundles.com, people can find out more information about Madam Walker Theater Center, um, which is an Arcadia book with 200 photographs and things that we've collected through the years, really a lot of vintage photographs, many of which have never been published were uh, mm-hmm. rarely published, and so I think it's a really good primer for people to get to know who Madam Walker is. And on her own ground, the life and times of Madam C. J. Walker is the, was really the first major biography of Madam Walker's life that came out in two thousand one, and it was a really a labor of love for me. You know, writing about her, her life is is fascinating, but I really wanted to put her in context um, with the other giants of her time, with people like Mary McLeod Bethune and
0: Mm -hmm. W.B.
2: Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, A. Philip Randolph, you know, the people who really um, helped us become who we are as African Americans at the turn of the last century. And I wanted people to see that this is a woman who had come Mm -hmm. from the cotton fields of the South, but who became involved in the political issues of the time, in lynching, in women's rights and economic independence for women. So that was, you know, that to try to create context. Now I really am writing about her daughter, and I think that, you know, in the telling of a story, the larger-than-life parent like a Madam Walker, a self-made woman, often overshadows the next generation And A'Lelia Walker was very much a patron of the arts during the Harlem Renaissance, but I think has become kind of a caricature in the telling of her story by most people who've written about the Harlem Renaissance. I think Langston Hughes got it right in uh, Mm -hmm. his book, The Big Sea. but, But most of the other people who write about the Harlem Renaissance sort of think... Madam Walker made the money. A'Lelia Walker spent the money. She partied her way through the Harlem Renaissance. Well, she did have great parties, but her life is so much more complex than that, and she was really Mm -hmm. friendly and supportive of the artists and writers and musicians. So I'm trying to tell that story now. Right, right. It's extremely important.
1: Um, Is there a Madam uh, C.J. Walker Foundation?
2: Um, There is. the, The Madam Walker Theater Center in Indianapolis is a cultural arts center, and it is a wonderful 1927 um, African Art Deco building that um, is a a place where there's arts education for young people. It's a place where there uh, are plays and Mm -hmm. uh, concerts, so we really take a great deal of pride in that. The Villa Lawaro, the home that Madam Walker built in Irvington, New York, um, just about 25 minutes outside of New York City, is a National Historic Landmark. And I have been working with a really wonderful young man named Brent Leggs, who's with the National Trust for Historic Preservation, to uh, try to make this, uh, to try to make sure that we preserve the house. The current owners, Harold and Helena Doley, uh African-American couple, have done a fabulous job of keeping the house um, preserved and restored. And... So and mm-hmm. Brent Legs and I are working on uh, the future of that home. So, and then we have the Madam Walker Family Archives, which is my personal mm-hmm. collection of Walker documents and clothing and photographs. So we try to make sure that the, that the that there's no foundation that gives away money, but we right. have these various entities that preserve the legacy. hmm
1: Very very important. And um, you know you're a, such an inspiration. Um, And it is extremely important that we preserve, you know, if it's going to be preserving a historical landmark or, you know, the information to go in the textbooks, that we make sure that we do it ourselves and that the information is accurate. Um, Now, I know you have the Madam C.J. Walker Theater. Can you explain to us the depths of your grandmother's investments and, and why you choose the theater as your subject in uh, the book, and in that
2: particular book, sure, absolutely. So, so this um, this newest book, Arcadia Publishing. Many people have probably seen their books; they just may not know that it's Arcadia. But any, but they specialize in local history books and in landmarks and historic mm-hmm. landmarks. So there might be a book about um, Greenwich Village or a book about Harlem or a book about U Street in Washington, D.C., or a book about Kokomo, Indiana. But people Mm -hmm. at historic societies will put together these books, and they're wonderful because they include 200 photographs. So I wanted to make sure that the Madam Walker Theater Center in Indianapolis had something so that when visitors and people who come really from all over the world Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. see this, So that when they leave the the theater, they have something that gives them the history of Madam Walker and the rich history of Indiana Avenue, the neighborhood that surrounded the building, and all of the things that went on in the building. This was 1927. Just imagine a four-story, block-long, flat-iron building. Mm-hmm. That with African-American theater, drugstore, beauty shop, doctor's mm-hmm. offices, dentist offices, the NAACP, a restaurant, a ballroom. So it was like a mini mall for African-Americans and really was the center of African-American business and culture for the city. Right.
1: Maybe, Chris I can do that movie.
2: Isn't it right. <laughs>
1: you know, so, now, you're the president and chairman of the board for the uh, the Foundation for the National Archives in Washington, D.C. Tell us why you think genealogical research is important and why families should cherish these repositories of our rich history, like the Smithsonian African American History Museum.
2: Well, you know, you're, you're so right. I mean, I became involved with the uh, Foundation for the National Archives through one of my colleagues at ABC, Cokie Roberts, and I. Um, worked together at ABC and she years ago did a a book called Our Mother's Daughters and Mm -hmm. included uh, essays about a number of historic women and she was drawn to Madam Walker's story. uh, As a daughter of Louisiana, Koki is of course her uh, mother and father were both members of Congress from Louisiana. Madam Walker was from northern Louisiana so Koki got interested in that story and we Mm -hmm. became friendly and when um, she is a longtime board member and invited me to become a member of that board. And the National Archives is something that is that fascinates me because it includes all of these key documents of American history. It houses the documents of the presidential libraries and the uh, federal agencies, and of course, the Declaration of Independence is there, mm-hmm. the Bill mm-hmm. of Rights, but also the documents of the Freedmen's Bank and even Rosa Parks' arrest records and the Emancipation Proclamation. So it tells the story of all Americans. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think many African Americans, you know, we look at some of these repositories and we make an assumption that our stories are not there, but our stories are very much in the National Archives. And, And so I want to make sure that I encourage um, people to come, we're getting ready to open up a new gallery um, that will, that focuses on civil rights documents, 13th Amendments, uh, Voting Rights Act, women's uh, rights documents, and immigration documents. So that will open mm-hmm. next week, actually, um, oh, at, the, at the National Archives, so when people are in Washington. And they can learn more about it at archivesfoundation.org. Okay. So I, I look forward to, to being able to welcome people. But yes, it is so important that we document our history. I think when we we make an assumption that we're that we don't claim our rightful ownership of what we have done in America. So when you see something, for instance, uh, last year at the Republican convention, I just cringed. I I couldn't watch it too much. But when they said. Uh, the Republicans, we built this country. Well, the implication was only white people built this country, that people of color had no role. But we built this country. America would not Absolutely. be America without That's us. Right. I was glad to see in mm-hmm. uh, Henry Louis Gates' Many Rivers to Cross on yeah. PBS, there was a line that I tweeted that there would be no America without slavery. There would be no 13 colonies without slavery. This right. country would not exist if we had right. not contributed to it.
1: Yes, it was the largest forced migration of a people in the history of mankind, and I think it is absolutely important to understand that these were learned, industrious men, women, and children that were shipped around the world and that absolutely um, you know, built the foundation for everything we have now. Now, do you have stories about how you acquired any of these artifacts or letters from your research?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, even starting with um, my grandfather, who was really kind of the keeper of of the flame, I would, as a little girl, I would visit my grandfather's um, apartment. And the, it was actually my grandmother's bedroom was, you know, had not been touched since she... Died, and I would sort of go through the dresser drawers and find her—you know—these beautiful fans and uh, mahjong tiles and opera glasses mm. that she had mm-hmm. used. It wow. still smelled like Shalimar. So even as a little girl, I was beginning to absorb some of these memories of these women who I didn't even know at that point. And then as I got older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I began, you know, there were things, as I say, in our house, our silverware that we used every day. Um, but then through the years, um, letters that had been saved, photographs that had been saved, at one point I was visiting my grandfather in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I was starting to do this serious research about Madame Walker, and there was a trunk that he, I had remembered as a little girl, and I said to him, Papa, you know, there was his trunk, and he said, "Oh, it's in the front closet." And I went and got it. He would long ago lost the key. We got a locksmith to open it up, and that was really the treasure chest for me, because yeah. in that the, in that uh, trunk there were lots of things that had belonged to Madame Walker. I mean, even mm-hmm. at Lilia Walker's beautiful chiffon negligee with gold filigree trim, wow. a marriage license from her third marriage, um, you know, just all kinds of amazing things. And so we sort of had that griot moment where my grand I would take something out of the trunk, my grandfather would tell me what it was. And it was just, you know, a very magical, magical time. And I, I think that it was sort of the passing of the wand to me to wow. be the one to tell the history absolutely
1: Um, what what points of interest or historical site documentaries would you uh, recommend folks to visit to learn more about your grandmother
2: well my my website Mm -hmm. madamcjwalker.com there's a really wonderful movie that Stanley Nelson did several years ago called two dollars and a dream and his uh, website is firelight media and uh, Stanley many people will know Stanley's name he's a filmmaker who's done a lot of wonderful films that have been on PBS Stanley's grandfather F.B. Ransom was Madam Walker's attorney for many years and his and Stanley's sister Jill who's also a well-known journalist narrated the film
1: but they okay. did a really fabulous
2: job of mm-hmm. telling Madam Walker's story um, so I would say that you know that's I would recommend that but they're on my Website. There are, you know, we have a number of little short videos, some things that I've done for History Channel uh, and for, you know, for other, you know, other uh, documentaries. Okay.
1: Um, well, I see we have a bunch of callers online. Oh, great! I see you callers. Yes. yes, we're going to open up the yes. line. Uh, Caller, are you there? Hello. Yes. Hi. Hello. Can you hear? Yes. Can you can turn you your, can your
0: phone, phone? I Hi, can I help you? I'm calling from Paris in France, and I'm a friend of Elalia Bundle. I know she is a guest of the show tonight. Yes, my name is Charlene. Charlene
2: How are you? Yes,
0: it's me. It's me uh, I'm okay, I'm okay. It's a.m. in Paris today, but I knew that you were a guest of the show tonight because I saw that on our Facebook, and I called to congratulate you about the book, about the work you're doing regarding Mm -hmm. your family and the U.S. history, the black history, what we're desperately missing in France, people doing that, so I want to be a support and congratulate you. That's why I called.
2: Well, thank you. And Charlene has been, um, Charlene and I met in Chicago some years ago. She is uh, doing wonderful work with cosmetics and hair in Paris, coming to Los Angeles and, uh, you know, really is a modern-day Madame Walker herself. Wonderful,
1: wonderful. Thank Welcome you. Charlene. Thank you so much,
0: Elise. That's what I'm trying to do, trying to go. <laughs> On the same path, but it's not exactly the same thing. So maybe in a few years, I will have my great-great-granddaughter talking to me, talking about me like you're doing. But it was just to congratulate, and I I wanted to let people know that over the other side of the the ocean, you're well known, Lily, because you were a really wonderful person, and I'm proud of being your friend.
2: Likewise.
0: That's very nice. Thank Uh, you, Charlene. Okay, bye-bye.
1: bye bye. Bye bye. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. Au <laughs> revoir. Are, Are there, there any more comments online? Okay, I think some of these some of them get a little shy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well let's see. That was very sweet from Charlene and Parry. Um now, uh do you have any parting advice or comments? you'd like
2: to share with our listeners, Miss um, Bundle? Well, you know, I, re- I, I would really just encourage people to learn their family history. You know, these yeah. days we it's very easy. Any kid can take a phone out and um, make a video of a grandparent or a great-aunt or a great-uncle and get them to tell the story. Start with your oldest relative and mm-hmm. don't be bored. Be interested in their stories. They're things that... You know, once they're gone, you can't get those stories from them, but just ask them to tell you their oldest memories and make sure you keep their papers and keep their photographs. These days you can scan it. You don't have to have the original. But we, what we need to preserve our history. We need to make absolutely. sure that our children do not forget.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, you're listening to Lilia Bundle. She is the great, great granddaughter of... Madam C.J. Walker, I'd like to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for another great show, and I hope that you will join us again. Ms. Bundle?
2: It was my pleasure to be here. I'm glad that my voice held up, and thank you all for tolerating the the little cragginess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is the end of the Gist of Freedom. This is Ilyasa Shabazz saying good night and farewell.